What's up guys, Mike Lewis here, and welcome to the Mike Lewis Podcast. If you guys want to keep up with me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at MikeLewisOfficial, and you can follow me on Twitter at MikeLew52, it's where most of my updates come. If you're enjoying my content, give me a like and a subscribe, and without further ado, let's just dive right into this episode. All right, folks, thank you for joining back for another episode. Allow me to introduce my guest, Kahuta. What's going on? Hello, world. Mike. Um, How are you doing and, these days? I'm doing good. Me, me and you have been trying to put this thing together for a while now, and it's completely my fault because uh, I'm just – Kahuta gets drugged in a bunch of different directions, and I'm a very busy human. Um, so – after after much uh, back and forth, me and Mike finally got on the same page and kind of made this thing happen. I'm I'm glad that I'm glad to be here. Glad we finally got a chance to chat. Hey, I mean it took a village, but uh, we were able to tie it down. <laughs> it does. It, sometimes it does. <laughs> so walk my uh, listeners where you're up to these days, just on a general basis. Like, what is uh, a day in the life of Kahuta Grindstaff like? Um, I am a. Uh, general contractor in Paradise Valley, Montana. So me and my girlfriend, Caitlin, live on a sheep ranch, sheep farm, about 30 miles north of Yellowstone National Park. So we're bordered, we live in Paradise Valley, and we're bordered by the Zorky Beartooth Mountain Range to the east and the Gallatin Mountain Range to the west and Yellowstone Park to the south and Livingston, Montana and the Crazy Mountain Range to the north. So I try to do most of my work pretty much in this valley and in the in the kind of surrounding area, kind of like a boutique, kind of like a boutique contractor. I try to do one or two projects at a time and take and spend a lot of time with the folks that are hiring me to do that, building kind of dream projects or something like that is kind of the goal, um, not just cookie cutter kind of stuff. Um, and we actually built right down the road a, a place called Yellowstone Film Ranch, me and Abram and uh, Abram's brothers. And we built a, a it's a fully, I don't want to say fully functioning, but it's it's a movie set, but it's not just a movie set. It's a, it's a We built a whole town. So it's like 26 different buildings and it's got a church and a saloon and hotels and library stables and jailhouse and a bank and all but when you walk into the town it looks like it's supposed to be set in like 1856 or something like that wow well i'm blessed with a lot of really cool projects for a contractor that you know people don't normally get to do pretty creative stuff stay so spend a lot of time in the mountains yeah and when i can is that always what you wanted to do kind of the uh entrepreneurship um I don't know. That's a great question. I don't know what I really wanted. I went on a few different little tangents about what I wanted to do. I, tra- I traveled for a while, and I thought for a little bit that that was going to kind of develop into something. Um, I always wanted to come out west, though, and I was always involved in construction since I was young, um, log home building and uh, retirement type, like vacation home type building and stuff like that from the, the, the place I'm at in Georgia. Uh, that's a huge business. It's beautiful. You're right at the right at the foot of the Southern Appalachian Mountains, Great Smoky Mountains. So that kind of translated well to what I'm doing out here. Um, I knew that I was never going to be a cubicle kind of guy or an office job. You know, you never go, you was never going to shake Cutter's hand in a bar and I, and me say I do marketing for a living or something like that. Like that just wasn't in the cards. You know. Yeah. Um, and the problem is the stuff that I enjoy doing the most as far as work is usually what the guy that's making the least amount of money does working with a tool belt, you know, or run equipment or something like that. So I try to find a way to to be the guy pulling the strings and making the calls and balancing the books and driving the nails. Um, just a lot of hats to wear, you know. Yeah, you kind of strike me as a guy that would, you know, kind of work to his own beat a little bit, kind of like a go-getter, someone that, um, you know, the jobs you just listed wasn't necessarily, you know, something was in the cards for you. So, um, you know, 
I assume that with the pandemic, did that stall any of your uh, projects or? We didn't miss a damn beat out here. It just, the only thing that happened, see, we were, we, so my crew in the, at the film ranch over there, we built the saloon block. So, and you drive up into town, there was a big block in the center and it was a saloon and it had three or four different outbuildings like attached to it in the center of town. We were finishing that up as COVID hit. And the state of Montana did a two-week shutdown, and the guy, the director I was working for, was like, you know, if you want to, we can honor the shutdown, because I was working with a crew of, it was me and three people, so, and we didn't really see anybody else, you know, you're just out here in the middle of nowhere, and at that point, we'd been on it for a year, just nonstop trying to get it done. And I, I said, yeah, we'll take two weeks for sure, <laughs> for sure. And it was right in probably, that was what, March? So in Montana, things just kind of grow from season to season. You go from, you know, like the, the summertime, you go from trout season to bow season to rifle season. Then people in the wintertime hunt, hunt antlers, hunt sheds all the elk drop their antlers and stuff and it's like a treasure hunt back in the mountains to try to find you know these big massive mythical looking antlers off these animals and it just so happened that when they asked us if we wanted to to acknowledge the shutdown it was right prime time shed hunting season so i was like yeah so we took the two weeks and then the two weeks turned into four weeks and we took the four weeks and we just kind of me and my crew, my buddies, we just kind of stayed back in the mountains and shed hunted. And But as far as the only thing really changed for me and Caitlin is we just, instead of driving all the way into Livingston, we just started getting our groceries at the general store right here in Immigrant. Oh, yeah. That's, so, that's about not, it. Not too bad then. No. No, it didn't really. It wasn't, it wasn't anything here like it was in other places. I mean, it wasn't like a, a thing. Yeah. You know? I, well, you and I are on different wavelengths, you know. I could imagine the discrepancy in New York and Montana are like night and day, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, a lot more. You know, if I don't want to, I can see my girlfriend and two or three other people weekly. You know, like, besides if I go to the gas station and give the guy a card or something like that, you know. But we stay pretty isolated. So that was kind of a blessing. And I told Caitlin, I was like, we were very blessed to be. You know, I got quarantined to 900 and something thousand acres of wilderness. So, yeah, you know, it was like super blessed. Freezer full of meat. So we just kind of rode it out. What's like your meat of choice? What is. uh... We eat a lot of elk. So, you know, you can harvest one elk. Um, Montana is very good. There's a lot of public land, you know, so I've got. You know, millions of acres to hunt you know um real hard country rough country but but one elk by the time you get it by the time you get the thing out of the mountains and actually to your house in coolers you're talking you know you're probably got 200 pounds of meat or something like that off an elk so wow. it's just elk we grind it make sausage out of it make stew meat out of it make cube steak out of it and caitlin makes elk balls and spaghetti and elk balls and she makes <laughs> chinese food she started making mongolian elk elk tacos elk sloppy joes you know we eat a lot of elk and some deer you know we eat a lot of deer i imagine then a season like the island might have been right up your alley then oh that was my the island was my favorite challenge i've ever did me and that's where i met abram and everybody was just bitching and whining and moaning and but it was kind of just like it was kind of like we, me and Abram felt like Swiss Family Robinson or something like that. You know, we were it was like we were literally stranded on the island of Doctor Moreau or something like that, and getting to sleep in a hammock and watch the storms roll in, wake up, jump in the ocean, and I loved it. I thought it was awesome. We could have had a little bit more to eat. You know, it wasn't a, the island was like they wanted it to be a survivor. And when they when I got the call for the show, they said it was a, a, a survivor geared uh, theme. But it was weird because we, we were on this stretch of beach and I think it was Bocas del Drago, somewhere down there and Panama. And 
you could only go, you know, we have probably had 500 yards of beach we could go on. And depth-wise, we probably had uh, 80 yards. And then behind that was all production. So it wasn't like, they weren't like, hey, you know, just take off. And because there was plantain trees and breadfruit and yucca roots and all kinds of stuff out there. But we just were stuck and they would drop you one fish you know, frozen fish or something like that and two bags of white rice and they wanted everybody to be felt like hungry and ill and you know. That was like a fascinating sequence. I feel like if that were to occur today, I don't feel like they would be able to pull it off the the way they did back then. Probably not. I mean it was and it depends on how you carried yourself and if you were if you were okay someone who is okay being uncomfortable just like you just like i'm uncomfortable but it's not the end of the world you know if you were somebody that got drunk and passed out on the beach every night and the mosquitoes ate you alive and you sand fleas and all that kind of stuff you were gonna have a rough time but if you could manage you know if you enjoyed camping you would it it was kind of a it was kind of a neat experience now where were you in that uh house when abram pulled his little ninja um he has he told you this story because he's he told me on here um oh, about a year he, ago when he did the whole ninja thing and did like some uh rolling like somersault out of your guy's little cabana to go uh take the food he we got uh you know it was an under armor sponsored thing and abram somehow found a sharpie and he blacked out everything, any little reflectors on the tennis shoes, any like, you know, stuff and waited one night till about two o'clock in the morning. And that some bitch snuck back through, blacked out in that jungle and went right into the the uh, catering for the crew. And he had I didn't find out till about a week later, but he'd been eating boiled eggs and ketchup and mustard and packs of Doritos and all kinds of stuff that he'd been snatching from the, <laughs> the crew back there. Yeah. Made it wow. a whole lot more enjoyable. It's unreal if you eat white rice every day for weeks, how much a little ketchup on the white rice makes a difference. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the only one. I just think he was the only one that got away with it, you know. <laughs> Probably. Very yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, once they saw it, caught wind of him doing it, and I think Kenny and Johnny and those guys thought they could sneak back there and but those guys couldn't sneak up on them. Yeah, I think I think like they got fined for that. I'm pretty sure they said. They did. Wow. They did get fined. Wow. I think they got fined more than once on that show. I want to say. Hmm. So how deep into the uh, you know pandemic when you finally get that call to come back for All Stars? Like, were you at a place where you know you would have accepted regardless, or was the timing just right? Like, how did it all crack out for you? Well. Um, let me think here. The, the main reason, so I got, I was an alternate for All Stars One, mm-hmm. and the main, one of the main reasons I was going to do it is Abram was going to go. You know, I knew, I knew some of the cast that was going to go, and I had a pretty good relationship, you know, with them. And I hadn't did one of the shows in a long time, and I was at a place. We built a big timber frame barn here over the summer and the homeowners were, it wasn't like something there was a deadline on. They were super cool. You know, when they were, you know, like whenever it gets done, it gets done. They, you know, so I was kind of in a spot where I could dash for a little while and, you know, try to make it happen. And then Abram got COVID and he actually, they wouldn't even let him leave the airport in Dallas. He couldn't get on the plane to go to Argentina because of his COVID situation. So then I got down there and he wasn't on the show and I was still an alternate and waited around and waited around and waited around. And we actually ended up having a great time. It was me and Ryan and Sophia and Casey. Me, Ryan, Sophia, Casey. And Cook. And Heather Cook. Yeah. And we kind of just, you know, once our quarantine was over, um, we had a really good PA with us and they made it pretty enjoyable. And we kind of just got to lounge around and kind of hang out, you know, in San Martin, which is 
if you've never been to San Martin de los Andes or Baloche or any of that stuff, it's a very special. Well, you ever seen that movie, Big Fish? Oh, yeah. So, you know, when he, when what's his face, Edward, what's his face, he goes through the woods forever and he comes across that little town and he's like, nobody knows the town exists. <laughs> yeah. It's like the perfect town. That's like San Martin de los Andes. It's like you drive through Patagonia and you go through forever and come on this glacial lake and it's got this little perfect town and it's just in the middle of nowhere, you know, Argentina. Yeah, I've heard from, you know, multiple places like the it seemed like the alternates for season one had like much more of a fun time uh, quarantining than the people that actually got on the show. Yeah. And it was a pretty good group. You know, I mean, yeah. it was a group that was pretty laid back. All the alternates were pretty laid back. And we just, you know, kind of go sit out in the yard at the hotel at night and eat dinner and drink wine and bullshit, whatever. So when the call came for the second show. Abram was going to do that show. And I was like, the, all right. The second one? We're here with the Mexico show. Here we go. So finally, so me and him started training. He was actually helping me on a job here in in the valley and we were going to the gym and you know comparing uh rowing machine numbers with each other and kind of pushing each other along a little bit and this and that and he was in la because he was living in la and kind of coming back and helping me work and then he'd fly back to la he was running on the beach and snapped that right achilles tendon so wow. then i was like well shit here we are again you know and so I just went through with it and went with it. And, uh, when, but when we got to Mexico, it was me and, was it, I don't know, I think it was me and Tech and Jasmine. Jasmine had had her first round of shots, but the second shot, she, it hadn't like been enough time for her to not have to quarantine. I hadn't had any of the shots. And Tech hadn't had any of the shots. And it, I think that's it. So we had to quarantine 10 days when we got to Puerto Morales. And then we, we did the quarantine and then the rest of the cast got there and the house wasn't ready. And I think we stayed there in the hotel for like two more days till the house was ready. And we ended up having a hurricane and it was a mess. It was, it was a very tumultuous uh, <laughs> season for sure. It was a lot that went on. So knowing what you know now, would you have uh, rather be on one, or are you glad the way it all worked out? Oh, one for sure, hundred percent. How come? Because I I live at five thousand feet in elevation and thrive at five, and I spend a lot of time at seven thousand, eight thousand feet in elevation in the super cold, and that was a challenge. That was at you know, they were performing at 6,000 feet in elevation. They were all just dying. They were all just gassed. And they were all the cold weather and the altitude and, you know, the topography. They were, it would pretty much be like having that challenge here in my backyard or something like that. You know, it would have been, it was, it was built for me that, that season was. I was so bummed. Oh, now that you said that, they might come set up shop in your backyard and might throw the season <laughs> they three. <might. laughs> save, some, save some plane tickets for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, Cancun was, we were in Puerto Morales, dead of, you know, summer. And it, you just walk outside, couldn't even breathe. The, you know, the pool was always hot. Like it was just people just falling out left and right. You know, it was hot, very hot. Yeah, that's just kind of crazy how it cracked out both times that Abram, you know, was slated to go, and then you know, some something screwy goes goes yeah. wire, you know. He said he he running on the beach, and he said he thought he stepped on a kelp a kelp bubble, because like, the snap was the pop was so loud. He said wow. it's a little gun going off, and he just hit the sand, couldn't get back up. How's his recovery coming along? It's all right. He uh he did a fireplace here. Um, kind of little little west of here. Um, came over and hung out and with me and talked and kind of keep in touch. We've got like me and him text a lot. And we got like a group message of friends, maybe guys I work with and stuff that we're always we stay in pretty much constant communication. But he's back. He's jogging again and 
working and you know so i think he's recovering he's recovering pretty good mm-hmm. he's tough though abram's a tough dude i mean he's, yeah no doubt he's got a lot of grit about him before we keep going into some challenge questions one of your diehards on uh twitter wanted me to ask you this question and from the start what is it with you with cheese do you does that ring a bell cheese yeah, I gotta scroll up this question because they really yeah, emphasize the one. Yeah, I gotta. Cheese. Yeah, hold on. Grilled cheese. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it said um, Tracy is her name. She said, you know who I'm talking about? Oh yeah, man, Tracy are good buddies. Yeah, yeah. Um, she wanted me to ask you about about the the cheese. Oh, the port wine cheese that she said. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know what the hell you was talking about there for a minute. She oh, said it's incredible. Disappointed. So. Yeah, Tracy. Uh, Tracy lives in Wisconsin, and we're kind of pen pals. And she, but she sends me like there's New Glarus Brewing in Wisconsin, and they make Spotted Cow beer, which is incredible, but it's just hard to get anywhere. But if unless you're in Wisconsin. So she sends me spotted cow beer. <laughs> awesome. But she sent me some port wine cheese, which is like a big Wisconsin thing. And there's like a little, she knows I'm kind of like a foodie and cook a lot. And um, she sent me some, uh, some spices from a spice, like a local spice company over there. So we keep in touch. But yeah, we were obviously, you know, talking about the challenge and how this all kind of aligned for you. It felt like you were one of those guys, right, that, you know, was always kind of the voice of reason on your shows, you know, like typically we see guys, you know, they have their drama or but you kind of just, you know, were a normal person. And I think that's why a lot of people related to, you you know, like you see your confessionals on this season. And I got to point this one out. (laughs) It was the nomination where uh, Steve was up and then uh, you were and then you were in the confessional and you were like. Steve's name gets called, and well, that's good for me because my name's Kahuta. <laughs> like that one is Steve. Yeah, that one is like classic for me. But the point I'm trying to get at here is, I think you're one of those cast members that's a fan favorite. And you and I were talking about this on camera too, kind of how it's like you have fans, but it's almost like a weird feeling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it is weird, and it's like. It's hard to explain, but it's like uh, I kind of tell people it's like it's weird if you are an if you're an artist, a musician, an actor, somebody that has some kind of talent and you have fans. It's like people are fans of your work. They're fans of, of your talent or your art or whatever it is that you're doing. People, you know, they're fans of Tom Cruise because they like Maverick and Top Gun or something like that, you know, or they're fans of John Bon Jovi because slippery when wet was all they played their junior year of high school or something but when you're not when you're not really doing anything but breathing and speaking and you and people are fans you don't really know how to react because it's so humbling and flattering that people are just a fan of your existence on the planet does that make sense oh perfect all you you can just be like thank you we can be friends like it's a you didn't you did nothing special you didn't place in the olympics or you didn't you know you're not holding any kind of titles or belts or anything like that so you're just kind of like yourself kicking it along through life and you just accumulate people that are your friends but they're friends with you because they know who you are but you're not really friends with them because you don't know who they are so they get equated as like fans and it's just a strange super humbling thing in general I got to imagine it had to have been even more surreal coming off of, uh, you know, your season of the real world, probably Mm -hmm. right at that time. Because back then, I mean, social media is so heightened now to where, you know, you compare it to back when Sydney was airing. It's almost unrecognizable, Mm -hmm. you know, like you probably were the MySpace era. Yeah, MySpace. Was that what you were up to back then? Yeah, we were the MySpace. I had like 40,000 MySpace friends or something (laughs) I remember after, so our show, the Sydney season, instead of one hour episodes, it was 30 minute episodes. So and I think instead of 12 one hour episodes, it was like 24, 30 minutes. Yeah, it was a, it was a shitload. <laughs> so we were on TV for a long time. 
you know, the show aired forever and ever. And I remember it was back, I guess that was kind of the cusp of when people still went to the mall before yeah. malls turned into ghost towns or something. And I remember going Christmas shopping with my dad. And I told him, I said, I think when this show airs, I'm probably going to get a lot of recognition. Like they're probably going to get. And I remember me and him got asked to leave Abercrombie and Fitch because I was taking photos in the in the front little like foyer section of Abercrombie and Fitch. And the, the way that stuff worked at the mall on a Saturday during Christmas, it's like somebody sees somebody taking a photo and then they recognize you because you're, you know, the show's rerunning and rerunning and rerunning on TV. And I be, before you knew it, my daddy, my dad was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> <laughs> they were women that me, hand me their babies, you know, like this. And I was taking pictures with the holding their kids and stuff. And it just, it just snowballed, man. It was, it was crazy. And it just happened out of nowhere. Just like it was that fast. I feel like Sydney's a season that when it was airing resonated with so many people. And I think people really liked it, but now like, you know, it's kind of fallen through the cracks in a sense, maybe because of like how off the grid a lot of your, uh, you know, cast members decided to uh, go. And then you've also you add in the fact that with Paramount Plus picking up all those seasons, Sydney is one of those outlier seasons that you can't find anywhere. There's like no it, trace of it. A lot of the a lot of the international seasons are like that, like it, yeah. in London, Paris, Sydney. They just, they don't, uh, it's not that they didn't, I don't think it's not that they didn't rate as well, but it was just such a different experience for the people that were actually on the show. Me and MJ were talking about this on All Stars, and he was in Philadelphia, and he's like, everybody knew we were, lived in that house, and we were the real world kids that lived in that house, and there were camera people there all the time, you know, and he's like, we would be, have the, you know, hanging out on the balcony on the windows and everybody at the bars down the street they knew we were the mtv cast nobody in australia had a damn clue who we were they thought some people would think we were cheaters you know <laughs> i had long hair and isaac told everybody i was rod stewart's son and that's why the cameras was following us around all the time you know the biggest loser they thought we were the biggest loser so your experience when you go out with a camera crew in Australia, you know, people aren't like, oh, they're shooting the real world because they don't really they didn't really air it down there. Like they didn't know what the hell it was. So unless it was American students that were like traveling abroad or something like that. It was just people just uh, you go in a bar or a club and there's, you know, with these bug lights over your head and cameras everywhere and everybody's just like, what the hell? You know, a bunch of American wankers or this or that or you know they're just like so i think the international seasons definitely have a different experience with the trip in general than if it was san diego or denver or somewhere where people obviously realize what's going on you know that was a pretty slick house though i thought it was nice did you, did oh you think our so? house was killer it was a it was a, a a nightclub called one world or something like that like a sports bar and so if you like the way Sydney's laid out, it's kind of in keys, what they call it, you know, so you've got like the circular key that comes in and the opera house is, is kind of on one point and then it kind of scoops back in this area they call the rocks. And then the Harbor Bridge goes over. And then on the other side of that, there's another one that kind of cuts way back in. And we were in Darling Harbor. So it kind of like. Don't quote my geography, but I think it's kind of like Darling Harbor. Harbor Bridge, Circular Key, Opera House, you know. So if you went all the way back in Darling Harbor on a boat to the very back of it, parked your boat, got out, walked 200 yards, that was our house. Wow. So we were right there in the creme de la creme of, of Sydney. I mean, it was a super nice area. Easy to walk to this or that, and then just gorgeous, super clean. Um, and our house was huge i mean i mean it was just a massive building and it was so big i think even the production rooms were like over top of it it was just a it was big 
pretty much like we were in a, what used to be like a gigantic taco mac or something like that. <laughs> That's probably the perfect analogy. Could and you... they just converted it into a house, you know? Yeah. It's cool. Do you think you guys would be able to pull off a uh, homecoming season if they ever tried to attempt for it? or? I think we could. I don't know. I know that Siobhan. She's kind of resurfaced recently. She has. Uh, but I think she's got one or two little ones. Um, Trisha, I don't know exactly. I used to keep in touch with Trisha a lot. Um, Trisha, I guess, is still in L.A. kind of doing doing her thing down there. She was working in some broadcasting stuff for a while. Ashley, um, she's got a little girl. I think it's, I think it's a little girl or a little boy. Um, and she's been with this guy for a while. He's an actor. Um, Kellyanne, I seen. I actually saw Kellyanne at the Denver airport. She moved to Denver for a while. She'd been dating this guy for a long time, and I was I was actually on my way to Nashville to see Caitlin. You know, I was walking through the airport, and I just happened to look over to my right in a, in a bar over there, and I was like, "No way!" I like, hadn't seen her in. Coincidental? Yeah, I hadn't seen her since Bloodlines. I hadn't seen her since like 2015. So I just kind of nonchalant, just kind of wheeled back around to the left and made a big loop. And I came back around again and I looked over and I said, that is, that is. And so I just, I kind of eased over and snuck up behind him in the bar. And uh, I walked up behind her or something and just leaned in and said, they don't serve people that don't tip or something like something smart ass, you know, like that. And she turned around and was like, oh my God. But I met her and that, her, uh, I guess it's her boyfriend. I don't think they're engaged or nothing. And they were going somewhere. I can't remember where they were going, but super nice guy. She would she would potentially do it. You know, she's still doing the challenges, so she would probably do it. Dunbar, apparently you know more about Dunbar than I do. I ain't talked yeah, to him forever. Right. Isaac yeah. would do it for sure. Um Parisa, she's got uh, a few young ones and actually years back met her. She, her that guy she married is great. I think he's Bosnian. Um, big guy. He was like a pro ball player, Bosnian or Croatian or something like yeah. that. Ball player. Um, so I don't know. Life happens. I don't know if they could get away, you know, from all those kids or something or or kind of how that would work out. I would I would do it, I guess, if I could, if I was in a position to where, you know, uh, the work situation was the way it, I couldn't do it for four months again. That'd be impossible. But. I mean, t- tech tech said that the the checks are fat for homecoming, so it might be worth the uh, extended absence of leave. <laughs> that's, the, that's the rumor. Yeah. Depending on how fat the checks were, you know, I guess depending on what they were offering or something like that. But even even just how long we're going for these challenges, I'm like, I'm so ready to get the hell out of there. And everybody's opinions and everybody's not washing their dishes and this and that and over time it just you just get to the point you're like good god yeah no did you ever hear the story about how your um your crew was supposed to be on the battle of the seasons i think like a while back and then like yeah actually but I, medical something I, medical happened yeah, and we don't – Isaac will probably know better than I would, but um, still to this day, like, we have no clue as to, like, what yeah. happened because it was him. And then when he went back to double-check what the problem was, they they told him, uh, we well, we never said that about him not being able to medically um, – Yeah, I don't not know what compete. happened. So, so – I talked about it with him probably just like you did, you know, but yeah. I, I think that it's still kind of in the dark or something, like if it was a – weird heartbeat or i don't know what it was i don't think he knows exactly what it was could you recall if they tried to fly you in as like his replacement when that happened Mm -mm, i didn't try to fly anybody in ah which is which was made it kind of weird like you would think that battle of the seasons and everybody's already passed everything and all that kind of stuff and they just got to replace one person it's almost like they didn't want them there or something like that like Maybe they wanted the alternate team. I don't know. I almost feel like it was maybe between two alternate teams, Sydney and one other team, and maybe somebody's stuff came in last minute or something, and they flopped around. Or 
We actually, that was the same house, though. Uh, Bloodlines. Yeah. Boy, that was a sweet spot. Yeah, you know, paint over a couple tiles and nobody will. <laughs> no, a lot of people actually realize that's what's funny. Turkey is still one of my favorite. I mean, we've got to do a lot of traveling, been super blessed, got to see a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. but Western Turkey is, uh, it was nice. I mean, very nice. I liked it a lot. Yeah. How much of the challenge was changing, um, you know, for you at that time? Because you kind of went straight off your real world season. You did bang, bang, you know, right off the bat, two seasons, pretty relatively consecutive with like the island and the ruins and then had that little break where you didn't do any and then came back and did free agents and bloodlines kind of bang, bang. How different like was the atmosphere like um, and kind of direction in which the show was going? I think that their budget was probably, you know, by the time we got to free agents and bloodlines, and I had a little more money to throw around. But for the most part, it wasn't. I think that the biggest change in the challenge happened when they stopped shooting the real world. So it's almost like that. That freed up. I feel like it freed up a lot of cash to put towards the challenge because some of those stunts they're doing now, it's cost a lot of money. I mean, when you get to thinking the crew that you're paying and then you've got, you're in some podunk place in the middle of Patagonia and you got to have three cranes on top of a mountain. You got to have pyrotechnics. You got to have somebody there that knows how to do dynamite explosions. You got to have fire trucks up there in case the whole mountain catches on fire. You got to have paramedics, ambulances. That's not including the portable restrooms, the catering just to do one challenge it's a lot you know so when you see those things and they're ramped up they've got helicopters up there involved and they it's a lot of it's a lot of budget you know so i felt like when like right after the australia show we were doing the islands and the ruins and they did did the duel too but at that point in time they were still you know the real world was still pretty prominent on MTV and and we hadn't gotten to the point where everything was streaming and whatnot. People still had cable and watched cable. And so they were spending, you know, MTV and Buda Murray was spending money on the challenge and they were spending money on, on kind of the real world. But I think that since the real world, I think what happened is, and this is not, I don't mean this in any negative way, but you had this idea of reality television that was a, a social experiment and you know they combed hundred thousand people or something like that to try to find seven people so initially you had some really genuinely different and and kind of intricate personalities of people and then as as it went on and reality tv matured you had all these shows just started popping up out of nowhere and they all mimicked the challenge it was all a you know, a lifeline or elimination or no matter if they were baking cakes or barbecuing or whatever it was, it was kind of the same kind of elimination kind of format. And you get to a point to where 60% of television is reality. And these kids from the real world and Survivor and all this stuff, it kind of gets the word happens that, oh, once you get on the show, you do these bar crawls and you go host spring break and you do all this stuff. And I feel like that that people started signing up for the real world because they had somebody in their head that they wanted to be. And that's like they almost went on there as a character of who they wanted to be. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was it was it was it got to be to where people just wanted to see the smut and the bullshit and the fighting and social media became such a thing that people were trying to just promote themselves as themselves. And it just became a disingenuous thing of being cast on that show. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense because, you know, like we were pointing out about the stunts, it feels like not on All Stars, the other one, the uh, flagship series, it feels like it's kind of over reliant on, you know, pyrotechnics and like stunts and themes more mm-hmm. so than it is the personalities. And the personalities yeah. is what made the show like you know what i mean like let's provide an example here we'll use you right like kahuta right people watch you on the real world and they know your background and stuff like that it's more enjoyable to watch kahuta 
the person that they watched unfold its journey on the real world go and do a stunt as opposed to just you know some influencer that you don't know like what right. like they they might you know they might look good or you know have like x amount of followers on instagram but why do i want to watch them go and jump off a, a bridge <laughs> like, i don't know I, it's hard for me to keep up with the new show because and those they're probably great folks i've just never met them and i don't really have any any background or history and i you know i don't I don't watch American reality shows a lot, much less European reality shows. You know, I'm not going out of my way to watch Jordy Shore or some shit like that. But I don't, you know, so yeah. maybe I just don't know the, the the background of the people or the. But I almost I can't help but feel like that branding yourself as a reality TV personality has become a career. And when we did our shows, you know, like a lot of people did very well off. They made money and they, they had speaking engagements and stuff like that. And they used that money to capitalize their own careers. But the career wasn't being a reality TV person. That wasn't the career. It was just. But now with Instagram and TikTok and whatever else is out there, they there's all this brand placement. And you can literally make a career off of you know, taking your clothes off on what is uh, fan, only fans or fans only or something like that. I've heard crazy numbers of what some of these people are making, you know, and, and especially chicks on the show, you know, and they're like, no, oh, you know, it's, it's I'm doing $30,000 a month. And I'm like, what do you have to do? Well, you subscribe to it and I do photo shoots and stuff like that that are kind of racy. And, you know, I'm like nude photo shoots. Some of them, so I'm like, so you're in porn, kind of. You're kind of but, in like, yeah, essentially, yeah. Porn. No, no, it's a it's a subscription, and you know, it's just me. I'm like, so you're in porn by yourself, softcore kind of by yourself. No. Could could you imagine if that was around, say, like during like the time of like the ruins or something like that? Could you have seen like any of your crew back then? You know you know caving in and getting involved in only fans back, well, back then it was people you know not name no names but i do know a couple of girls that it was like skinamax like softcore porn movies like actual movies or playboy would playboy diddy girls and reality tv or something and there's like five or six of them those wow. old school girls that did it wow we won't name no names if you just if you're yeah. curious the Google monster has all that info. Yeah. Old reliable. We'll call it that. Old, old reliable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, what is it like? What would lead a guy like yourself to try out for the real world to begin with? Like, what were you up to before you were doing the real world? Um, so I was the oldest one on my season. I went on at 23. So, I was from a real small town and never flown anywhere or nothing like that. But, you know, was was had always wasn't. I mean, I was definitely green, but wasn't ignorant or anything like that. So had very good upbringing and smart in school and stuff. But I just I guess I felt like that. I always felt like that I was missing out, like like I, the past two or three years of my life is probably the first time I've ever not had that FOMO stuff or whatever. Like, I always was like, you know, work for X amount of time and then go to the airport and jet somewhere or do this. Because I was like, you know, you got such this finite amount of time to spend breathing on this planet. I want to say all of it, you know, as much as I possibly can. And that that bug kind of caught me about 22 21 22 or something like that and i don't necessarily remember how the actual show trying out for the show came about but it just it did seem like a seemed like a way to expedite everything all at one time get paid travel change your career party see the world all this kind of stuff was all if i got if you got picked for that you know there wasn't no planning involved. You didn't have to do anything. You just had to be there and smile and be like, hey, I'm cut. I'm from Georgia. So it was like a value pack of youth, kind of, for somebody that wants to have that experience. Um, and I think initially that's what I saw 
probably in it. You know, I don't think it was ever a, a uh, I never wanted to be an actor or, or anything like that or, or kind of have this quest for, you know, for fame. It's it's weird because at the time I tried out for the show, um, I was looking at uh, moving to a little north of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You know, I came to Trout, I came to Gardner, Montana, which is 20 miles up the road, trout fishing, and was wanting to move out west to literally where exactly where I am right now. So it's almost like it happened perfectly. Like I didn't move out west, and I went and did the show, and then I traveled the whole world, and I had all these crazy experiences, and I met all these people who were great. And then when I got done with that, I just moved out west like I would have would have to begin with, you know. So, so it's every- almost like everything came full circle the way it was supposed to happen. Yeah, and it's exactly pretty much what just happened, the way you mm-hmm. explained it. Yeah. So, like, now, I don't, I want, I like a routine. I want to get up at 5, 6 in the morning. I want to go work all day, every day. I want to be in bed at eight thirty, nine o'clock, something like that. You know, I enjoy that kind of getting out and working in routine. And the travel bug that was in me before is just not there like it was. You know, it's not something like I've got to be out, got to be doing, you know, I'd be happy not leave this valley if I didn't have to. Well, I'm sure coming off the show, you know, you probably had that bug, right? And, you know, with um, they had you guys going on all those appearances and, uh, oh, yeah. you know, di- didn't I'm pretty sure I think I saw this. Were you and Isaac and might have been Dunbar, too? Did you guys have your own um, nightclub that you started? Me and Isaac did in, in Athens, Georgia, where EGA is at. And I had that for, you know, that was years that's a that's a big block a block of my life and that's pretty much the block in between the ruins and free agents so i didn't do any of those shows because we built and ran a huge nightclub in a college town so i couldn't you know we couldn't leave me or him either one we were kind of tied to that thing and then i ended up i ended up selling out and moving back home for some you know my some reasons family reasons my granddad and kind of that's kind of what got me back into you know I, I got another call to do another show and at that point i was kind of freed up some and, and could do it so i took off and we went to went to uruguay but yeah me and isaac traveled isaac would cold call bars and he'd say yeah yes this is uh steve swanson i represent isaac stout and god grindstown <laughs> <laughs> he would book us at these bars to come just hang out and you know get on top of the bar and Pour shots all over everybody and stuff like that. But he would like fake being our manager or agent or something like that, and we would just go on road trips, just hop from town to town and have all this stuff planned out. Do you have like uh, any crazy place that you've ever been to? Like, is is any memory? You know, when you think back, like, okay, I did this in my life. I went on this appearance, this and that. But is there one that stands out to where you know you're like, wow. I, out night was a trip i can't believe we did that um yeah i mean there's lots of them but i mean if it's something that was and it might have been because i was older or something but we were in spain and had spent some time in barcelona and it was about four o'clock in the morning and I was standing in my hotel room in front of the mirror in the bathroom, and I had a white Budweiser T-shirt on that was just purple, soaked with sangria. It was still wet. <laughs> I smelled like, uh, you know, a winery or something. Red sashes on. Had tried my hair pulled back, and it had sangria all in it. And I was like, it's four o'clock in the morning. I got up to stretch because. At eight o'clock, when these rockets go off, we're going to run with the bulls. We were in Pamplona. And you're standing there in Pamplona, and a lot of these people that are about to run didn't even go to sleep. They're full of cocaine or whatever, and everybody just stayed out all night. And the streets, they, they cleared all the people out of the streets, but the streets are just covered in wine and beer and puke or whatever. And it's all cobblestones. And they shoot off, they call they have these rockets called the Chupinatos, I think. 
and they shoot three rockets off and they shoot one rocket off and this is at like seven in the morning and they let you know that they unloaded these bulls the bulls are in the chutes back there and they shoot another rocket off and when that second rocket goes off they've opened the gates so it's only like a half a mile but people you know you're you, at that point in time they're tr the, the police are trying every way in the world to get people out of the streets to to maintain that there's only like three thousand people run a day or something like that and after the second rocket goes off everybody's so crammed in there they start jumping up and down and trying to see over the crowd and you keep jumping and jumping and jumping and you, you can just hear the roar and then all of a sudden you can just feel and then you jump all of a sudden and you'll jump and see horns doing this kind of bouncing and then it's just i mean it don't matter if it's an old lady in front of you it doesn't matter if it's a little kid people are just running over people trying to not die it's crazy wow. When you run, you run into, you know, run with those bulls, and then you just follow them into this huge bullfighting arena right in the middle of Pamplona, and you think, oh, it's eight o'clock in the morning, everybody's in bed, and it's full of Spanish people in red scarves, and everybody's just cheering you on like gladiators or something like that, you know, and then you just run into this arena, and there's all these bulls in there, and it was wild. It was a moment in time that after it was all said and done, it was me and Isaac, and we were just, we were just like. That just happened. Like what? That what happened? It's <laughs> crazy. Wow! Guy, guy running right in front of me got Gordon the scrotum. Like Jesus Christ! He was wild, man. Yeah. You you uh were at I think there was like um they had the uh what was it the um the MTV Real World Awards I think they were doing back then too right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Me and Isaac were, went to that, too. Me and Isaac had been to Mexico for a month. We were in Acapulco for like two and a half weeks. And actually, that, that's a lie. We were in Acapulco, and we flew from Acapulco to Cancun. We had to host spring break in Cancun for two and a half weeks. But in between that, they flew us from Mexico back to L.A. to do that to do these real world awards. And after two weeks being sponsored by Corona in Acapulco, Mexico, working for the biggest spring break company on the planet. We were just, you talking about looking rough. I mean, I had pink eye and both eyeballs from Mexico in general, you know, you get in the pool in Mexico, you're probably going to get pink eye, you know, and Isaac had been, he, we just looked like we'd just been, I mean, just ran over with a truck. And that was when they throwed, watch his face, um, Jeffrey Ross in the pool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I remember that night and then we left there and we were we were drunk as a skunk at this point. And we left that award show and me and Isaac, me and Isaac and Trisha and these two promoters from LA and Seth Green. Oh, you know who Seth Green is? Is that the family guy? Uh or is that well, it was he was there to was in Seth McFarland's limousine, but Seth Green uh -huh. is like Austin Dr. Evil's son or whatever, you know. Um, and we were in Seth McFarland's limousine and we went to this nightclub. And, and I don't know how Seth ended up being friends with Trisha, and we kind of just became friends with him. Like he just Trisha lived out there and we were friends with the same promoters or something. And uh we left the nightclub, got back in the limo, and Isaac choked out one of the promoters in the limousine, and they just stopped it in the middle of the road, and they were like, Isaac, you got to go. We can't have fighting. You can't be fighting in the car. And then Isaac got out of the limousine and then looked at me like, like oh, God dang it. So then I got out with him. So then we were stranded in the middle of North Hollywood somewhere. And I'm like, you just got us kicked out of Family Guy's limousine choking <laughs> out a club promoter against the glass. Right. And I'm and I got out with you, so this should mean something. Oh my well. Seems like you got like a bunch of stories from back then. We had a good time. Yeah, yeah. we had a really good time. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of one of those guys that, you know, always feels like they're getting the calls but not, you know, 
maybe for one reason or another the theme doesn't fit or something around those lines like have you kind of been consistently getting calls like throughout the years or was it like sporadic uh there was a period of time probably from 2015 right after bloodlines i got a call for the one after blood there was probably like three years there or something that i didn't i wasn't just getting buzzed a whole lot but i would usually get an availability call for everything you know Mm. Um, but it was also a point in life that it was, you know, I was turning down the availability calls. So if you turn down three availability calls in a row, your name kind of gets, they kind of shuffle it and they're like, look, he obviously doesn't want to do this anymore or something. But then occasionally something will come along and they'll, you know, I keep in touch with those, the producers and the directors and all, and they know where I'm at and what I'm doing, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all. So it works out when it works out. Yeah. Is is an Nexus theme something you would shy away from these days? You know, probably. Yeah, I would have to. <laughs> yeah, because so. yeah, I I only ask because a lot of the uh, you know followers wanted me to ask like if you had to choose between them, um, and I'm sure you've gotten this question a million times. They always want to know like who would you rather have for an Nexus partner if you were to be paired up between Nani and Kellyanne. I don't know. Probably I don't know. Probably uh, I hadn't spoke to either one of them. Like I said last time, I spoke to Kelly and she was in the airport in Denver. You know, yeah. I don't have, we don't. There's no hard feelings with anybody, you know, or anything like that. But I don't know who they are now compared to who they were then. Probably be a toss up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think you and Kellyanne, like from a you know athletic standpoint, would do some damage on that thing. Yeah. Kellyanne would be a great partner for me on that, you know, as far as being, she's kind of athletic and we're kind of, you know, close to the same size. We great yeah. you know, as far as stature and all you can do, you can do well um, with partners like that on co-ed, you know, co-ed challenges. I have, yeah. I have to ask how crazy was that experience, you know, being on that ruins show with uh obviously you know fresh off of you and kellyanne and then you had west there with her and then johanna of course on his side of the spectrum how like looking back on it now after this amount of time removed like like could you even recall like would like back then your thought process was about the whole situation did you not really mind it or was it more so uh i didn't didn't really give a shit one way or the other at that point you know i felt like that i always felt like that it bothered west more than anybody yeah you know, he didn't like it. Um, and I hate that, you know, for him, because I didn't mean any harm. I didn't mean any, you know, thing by it one way or the other. But after the show came out and you saw the interviews and stuff like that, it was, I felt like he was like genuinely kind of bothered about it, which is why that show happened the way it happened. So that's like that's like the banner moment when people look back at like your uh retrospect of like you know what your time on the show that elimination with like you and him is uh that's like your banner moment everybody uh brings up yeah i mean he was mad and he was mad i guess and hurt and i don't know what had happened behind scenes with them ain't no telling what he had you know but he obviously didn't want me there and I mean, I don't think as of right now, there's probably no, I mean, I don't have any hard feelings. I don't think he does either. But the way the situation was, he probably just didn't want me around and beat him in the ass. Were, were you cool with him back then? I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so till I watched the show, you know. Um, you never know what in an interview room, you know, what happens. But I can sit down and have, Wes is a smart guy, you know. I can sit down and have a conversation with him. I hadn't seen I hadn't seen him probably since that show, you know, been years and years and years and years. So, but I don't have any hard feelings, you know, it's just, you know, it was what it was. And that was a, that elimination was a, something that was, there was a lot involved in it. You know, it wouldn't, it wasn't just blowing steam and, and flexing and, you know, whatever it was. You had to kind of be a little bit of a thinker and, uh, problem solver a little bit it was a big endurance thing and you know if it would have went differently he might have won who knows you know just best man won that day yeah speaking of eliminations i wanted to ask you about the one with you and ryan from uh this all-star season he seemed to suggest that uh for whatever reason i think like the liquid from the 
fire or something like that with his helmet. Like, he got, like, messed up from it when he got back. I don't know if he told you that. I don't think so. I know that we had to coat ourselves in this, like, fire jelly stuff. That's, that was yeah, non, yeah. Non-flammable stuff, but I didn't have any problem with it. I burnt my pinky finger, you know. Oh, wow. That ball got pretty hot at one point in time, and I just said, give me some more of that stuff, and I just down in that glove and it was fine after that but i didn't have i don't i didn't have any uh circumstances where the fire jelly tore me up or anything like that that must have been uh crazy you know back then when you were doing your challenges you know you didn't really have stunts like that and then to have an elimination round with like fire and stuff like that definitely must be a change of pace it was interesting kick tack toe for sure it was uh there was a lot more speed involved in it than I thought of it, you know, naturally to begin with. It was it, all that happened real fast, you know, the, yeah. it was over in a matter of matter of time. But I like Ryan. Me and Ryan still keep in touch. Good friends, you know. Well, uh, I appreciate you giving me your uh, time today. I had a fun time picking your brain and uh, chatting yeah. with you. So, uh you glad know, we could finally make it happen, man. It's been yeah, uh, it's been a long time for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, uh, have a great rest of your week and um, take care. Happy holidays. All right, Mike. You too. Have a merry Christmas. Keep in touch. You too. Thank you. See you. We'll do.